So over the last six years of uh, being a dad, I've, I've learned and kind of realized that the only thing better than being a child on Christmas morning is, uh, is being a parent of a child on Christmas morning. Like, it is such a fun morning. Uh, you see them you know, running and looking at the tree, and they just have so much excitement uh, when they see the presents that are underneath it. There's so much um, anticipation about what is inside the boxes. And then when you say, okay, it's go time, uh, they just start, you know, the chaos ensues. They start opening up and, and you know, wrapping papers going everywhere. Uh, boxes are flying and they just get so excited about uh, new things that they get to play with and new things that they get to enjoy. Like, I love my girls. They even get excited about things like, like clothes. Like things that when I used to get that as a kid, I was like, oh, clothes, where are the toys? But they're like, clothes, yeah, they get so excited about it. And, and I've learned through the years that there are, there's a couple of different ways uh, that people approach opening a Christmas present. Um, there's, there's the way similar to my grandma Horton. I love my grandma Horton, but she takes 10 minutes to open up a Christmas present. And, and in our house, uh, and, and with that side of the family, we had this tradition that, you know, we just kind of took turns. And so whenever it got to grandma's turn, we were like, okay, it's time to take a nap um, or go and get a fill up of, of food because she would just meticulously begin to open up the present, peeling off all the tape. And we used to give her a hard time like, grandma, you would be able to reuse the wrapping paper when you're done opening up the Christmas because she just... Just nice and slow and intentional. See, I can't even do it. Like, I'm trying to do it, and I still rip it open. She just does that, and she, she actually would reuse as much as she possibly could. She was just thrifty like that. And so that was how my grandma Horton would open up a Christmas present, and then she would finally get to, to the gift. So that's one way of opening up. And so I'm not even going to, if anybody wants this wrapping paper, you're welcome to it. It's still good. I'm just going to set it right down there and uh, you can grab it on your way out today. Now, the second way is the way that my girls like to employ. And that's just where you rip into it as much as you can. And they're like punching the box to see what's inside of it. And when they get there, then they get all excited about what's inside of it. And there's a mess of wrapping paper everywhere. Now, out of curiosity... How many of you open up a Christmas present the way that my grandma Horton does? Let's, let's see a show of hands. Man, look at them. They're like, I don't know that I want to admit that, but yes. Hey, if that's you, man, kudos to you. We need people like you in our life because you are orderly and, uh, and so you keep things moving and at a fluid pace. How many of you, like, you, you just demolish the Christmas present when it comes time? Yeah, let me see a show of hands. You are my people. Uh, that's how I go at it as well. And so yeah, I know that my girls have probably learned it pretty honestly. And you know, I think what happens for many of us when we come into the Christmas season, like we just want to attack it. We want to attack it and we want to get as much out of it as we possibly can. Uh, time spent with our family and with our friends, we just want to get everything out of those moments that we can. And so a lot of times we enter into this time of year with a lot of excitement and a lot of anticipation about what's to come. But, but oftentimes... What happens, at least for me, maybe it's happened for you, is that we build up all of these expectations and we have all of these things that we're anticipating, the expectations about what this time of year should be like. 
expectations about what family gatherings are going to be like. And like, even if you have a family that you would say, yeah, we're kind of a mess, you go into it and you think, but this year is going to be different. This year is going to be different. And so you raise the bar of expectation. We have these expectations of special moments and perfect gifts. And we build all of these expectations up. And a lot of times what happens is that reality doesn't quite align with our expectations, right? Like what we hope for and what actually happens doesn't quite come together. And for some of us, that's not just true during the Christmas season. That's true for life. Like maybe you're here today and you're looking at your life going, it is not at all what I thought it was going to be. Like where I am today, the people that are in my circles, it's not at all what I thought life was going to be like now. And so you're living in this land where your expectations don't quite meet your reality. And and so what do you do when life looks less like this, all warm and happy and perfect, and more like this, where... (laughs) There's the expectation of joy, (laughs) but it's nowhere to be found. (laughs) It is not there at all, where you just would say, man, I'm kind of a mess right now. I'm kind of a mess. See, the reality is there are days that that don't really feel much like a gift, or at least a gift that you want to keep. There are days that are just hard and they are dark and they don't feel like a gift worth receiving. And for a lot of people, those days are even more common during this time of year. For those who who live in some darkness or some depression or some loneliness or have experienced loss, these days through the holidays are some of the most difficult times of the year. So maybe that's where you are this morning. You're going into Christmas and there's a lot of pain. This year is going to be a lot different than the years past. Maybe for you, this is the first Christmas without a loved one and you just don't know how you're going to put on a strong face. And maybe it's not the first Christmas, maybe it's the 10th Christmas and you still don't know how you're going to enter into it because the pain just has not gone away. Maybe this Christmas is filled with a lot of pain because of a bad decision or a divorce or depression or loneliness. Maybe there's uncertainty in your health or your finances. You're looking at your relationships and you feel like they are just a mess right now and you don't know that you have the strength or the energy, the passion to go into this time of year. And we come to this time of year and we're told through all of these different avenues, through media, through marketing, sometimes even here at the church, what we're told is to to treasure every moment, to give a gift that they will remember forever, to, you know, we hear Christmas music and we watch Christmas movies and they all talk about may our days be merry and bright and to, to just give it our all and to find all of the joy that we can in this time of year and maybe you're here and you're thinking, man, that's just not where I am right now. That's not my reality. And if that's you, then I think that the biblical account of the Christmas story is going to resonate a whole lot more with you than the, the Hallmark Christmas movies that are put out this time of year. Because the biblical Christmas account was messy. It was really messy. 
We're in the second week of our series called Above All Names. And if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me. We're going to be looking at a couple of passages, but our main one's going to be Matthew chapter 2. If you have a Bible app that you like to use, you can pull that out as well. Matthew chapter 2. And we, we launched this series last week by trying to kind of paint a picture of what it was like for the Israelites 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And in Isaiah 8, the prophet tells us that there was a lot of darkness, there was a lot of despair, a lot of gloom, that the days were filled with a lot of hopelessness. They were under this oppressive occupation of the Assyrian army, and it just didn't look like there was any type of, of relief that was in sight, and people were looking at them going, like, God has just abandoned you. In fact, the common sentiment of the day, even from their own Israelite people, the common sentiment of the day was the Lord has abandoned us, and he's left us in the hands of the Assyrians. The Lord's abandoned us. And what we talked about last week is that many of us, we know what that feels like. Maybe we haven't been abandoned into the hands of the Assyrians, but, but we feel or have felt at times in life like the Lord has abandoned us and he's left us in the hands of depression, of divorce, of darkness, loneliness, of loss. Some, you feel like the Lord has abandoned you and left you or someone you love in the hands of addiction. And so while the, the sentiment may end differently, the feeling for many of us today is still the same. We feel like the Lord has abandoned us. And what we saw last week is that in the midst of these hardships, God speaks through Isaiah and he says, I am with you. He gives us the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. And so Isaiah tells us and reminds us that God is with you in your darkness. God is with you in your despair. God is with you in your hopelessness and your chaos and your pain. God is with you. He never leaves you or forsakes you. And that same message that gave the Israelites hope so many years ago, it inspires hope in us even today. Look at what he says, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And then he gives the Messiah four titles, four names that kind of represent what he's going to do, what his character is going to be. And he says he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So what he's saying is that when people look at the Messiah, they're going to say, he is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace because those things are just so apparent in his life and in his ministry. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at each of these names to get a better understanding of what they mean and then how Jesus was the fulfillment of them. And we're going to start with wonderful counselor. Now the gospel writers, they give us a lot of insight into the climate that Jesus was born into. And I think that, that this really helps us understand the ministry of Jesus. So if you have a Bible open, look at uh, Matthew chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1 and 2. Matthew says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star... When rose and have come to worship him. 
Now, the first thing that we see here is that Matthew tells us that King Herod was in kind of control at the time of Jesus' birth. And this is an important detail because not only does it kind of set Jesus' birth in its historical context, this is an actual historical event that happened, but it also sets Jesus' birth in its cultural climate. So we know a lot about King Herod's reign, and so we can understand a lot about the world that Jesus was born into. So King Herod was a notoriously evil man. We we know from other historical writings that that Herod was very power-hungry. He would do anything that he could to keep his power, to gain more power, even if it meant having eight or nine wives killed off, his sons killed off, because he felt like they were a threat to his throne. He would do anything that it took to remain in control. And so he was very harsh. He was very ruthless. He was very mean. And and then it goes on, and not only was he jealous for power, but he was also ruthless in how he treated people. He taxed the Jews to the point that many of them were homeless. They barely had enough money to, to provide for their family, to feed their family. He was insanely jealous of anyone who he perceived as a threat, and he would go and take drastic measures to rid himself of that threat if he felt like he needed to. And so this is the cultural climate that Jesus was born into, just in a, in a nutshell, and we pick it up in Matthew chapter 2, verse 7. So then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Right. That's what he wanted to do. <laughs> So after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinities who were two years old and under in accordance to the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This account breaks my heart. To think that countless, countless babies born to mothers and fathers who were just as excited about the arrival of their child as we are when ours come. Countless babies murdered because of the jealousy of one man. Parents weeping at the loss of their children. And I think what we realize in this is that when Jesus was born, all was not calm. When God in flesh entered into our world, all was not bright. In fact, in a lot of ways, it was just the opposite. And I think what the Christmas story teaches us is that if there are some, some things that are troubling you in your life, 
if things aren't turning out the way that you thought that they were going to turn out, if you are experiencing deep hurt or pain, Jesus has come for you. Jesus has come for you. The, the, the Christmas story is a reminder that Jesus is not afraid of our mess. He's not. He's not afraid of your hurt. He's not afraid of your pain. He's not afraid of those things that fill you with anxiety or that fill you with deep regret. Well, many of us want to run away as fast as we can from the messes of life, the Christmas story is a reminder that Jesus ran right into ours, came right into it with us. Jesus, our wonderful counselor, he left the comfort of heaven. He became familiar with the pain and the loss that we experience in, in our world. And he didn't just observe it from a distance. He didn't just look down from heaven and, and see what we were going through and think, oh, man, that's, that must be really hard. He came down and got into it with us. He felt our pain. He experienced our loss, and now he knows what it feels like when we hurt. And because of that, the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and following, he says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, and so if he's ascended into heaven, it means that he lived down here on earth with us. He went through the difficulties. He knows the pain that we experience. Let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. And look what he says in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. I want to just pause right here. Steve, leave that, that verse up on the screen for me because this is such an important word in this verse. Empathize. See, if Jesus had not left his throne, if he had just kind of stayed where he was and looked down upon us, Jesus would have been able to sympathize with us. He would have been able to say, I feel sorry for what you're going through. Good luck with that. But instead, he came down in it with us. He felt it with us. And so now he is able to empathize with us. Several years ago, when we were living in, uh, in Rhode Island, uh, college ministry that we supported personally and as a church and had some friends that served in, uh, they did a polar plunge each year as a fundraiser. So it was in February. Um, the, the beach was typically covered in snow. We'd have to like take snow shovels out and clear a path. And, and I had seen um, polar plunges on TV I had watched people jump into the water, and I had thought to myself, ooh, that, that must be cold. But it wasn't until I was standing on the beach in Rhode Island in February in nothing but my swim trunks, surrounded by a hundred other crazy people, did I realize, whoa, this is going to be really cold. <laughs> and so the gun goes off, and we all run in there, and has anybody ever done a polar plunge? Anybody ever jumped into water? Okay, no one other than me is that dumb. All right. Well, there's no way that you can experience, or that you can know what your body senses in that moment when it hits water. Then on that day, the first one was 34 degrees, <laughs> 34 degrees. And we ran into that and it just felt like a million pins and needles were just like poking me all over my body. It was the coldest thing I've ever experienced. And I ran back out as quickly as I could. 
But now when somebody talks about, oh, I've done a polar plunge, or I'm thinking about doing a polar plunge, I can be like, you're dumb. Don't do that. That is ridiculous. <laughs> and it's because I've experienced it, right? Like I've been there. I went through it. I know what it feels like. And Jesus, like what the author of Hebrews is telling us is that Jesus is able to empathize with our weakness because he has been here. He knows what it's like. He knows the hurt and the pain of this life because he entered into it with us. So then he goes on, he says, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is able to empathize with us. He knows the pain of this world because he experienced it himself. And because of that, he is able to help us in what sometimes seems like a hopeless, helpless world. He's able to spur us on and to give us mercy and grace in our time of need because he is with us. So as we enter into this Christmas season, let's just pause and remember that the good news of Christmas is not just for those whose lives are put together. The good news of Christmas is not just for those who seem like they have the perfect family, who take the perfect pictures, and everything is just all nice and clean and neat. The Christmas story is for those of us who, who feel like our life is a mess, who know what pain feels like. See, Jesus, our wonderful counselor, did not come into the world filled with perfect people because that world, one, doesn't exist, and two, wouldn't have needed him. Instead, he stepped into a world of pain and brokenness to be with us, to be with people like me and like you who are sometimes hurting and confused and we're just looking for some kind of hope to hang on to in this world. So my question as we close this morning is this. What do you need to take to your wonderful counselor today? What do you need to bring before your wonderful counselor today? What hurt or pain do you need to lay at his feet? What unfulfilled expectation do you need to take to him? What do you need to talk through with him in prayer? What sin do you need to confess and turn from and work through. Whatever it is today, be assured that Jesus is not afraid of your mess. Whether it be the first, the second, the fifth, the tenth, however many times you find yourself in that same mess, Jesus is not afraid of it. He's going to get into it with you. He's going to help you sort it out. He's going to bring you through stronger on the other side. good news of Christmas and why we celebrate this season is that God looks down on us and when he sees our sin, he doesn't turn away. When he sees our brokenness or the ways that we've added to the brokenness of other people's lives, he's not taken aback by it. It's just not. Instead, Christmas shows us that he runs to it. He gets into the mess with us so that he can redeem it. That's why this Christmas story is such good news. So if there's some broken things in your life, I just want to remind you that they can be made beautiful again.
There's hope for you today. There's hope for your life. And it's all because of Jesus. And so how will you attack Christmas this year? (laughs) It may not look or feel like the perfect gift. You may want to return it at the end of the day, but how are you going to attack Christmas this year? You, You may want it to be like this, but instead it feels like this. This Christmas, let's look at more than just how this season is wrapped and let's see the beauty of the gift that's inside of it. See the beauty of a child, of God, God in flesh, laying in a major, shining as the hope of the world. A baby who came into this broken world as a wonderful counselor to meet broken people like me and like you exactly where we are. 